That works out pretty well. That's a cute biscuit. Looks good. Looks yeah, it's a nice. Look and it's sturdy. It's been uh, my. It's been knocked around in my suitcase. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, many times. No, it's not too heavy. I take the batteries out of it to travel. Yeah. With the four four flashlight batteries, or uh, rather eight flashlight batteries, is a lot heavier. Yeah, but, but uh, no handle on it. Huh? Yeah, no here. Oh yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah, it's good. It's a variable speed on the playback, in case you were had like batteries are running down. I hope you weren't recording what we weren't saying here. No, no, I didn't get a word of that. Uh, well. Who's next? Who's next? Well, let's talk about it. You mentioned the uh, Oval Table Society, and I really, frankly, don't know exactly what that is. Yeah. Um, it's not even an Oval Table. What, yeah. what is it, first of all? Well, it's an organization set up by one man. Who? Uh, Joseph M. Bing. B-A-N-G. Right, okay. Who An Austrian who insists on... A Viennese. Who insisted on being called a Viennese. He had a Doberman Pinscher. It was his protector, my friend, he said. He used to tear the pants off of a repairman to come in there, you know. <laughs> Once he uh, ripped a gun out of somebody's a policeman's pocket, <laughs> traffic car, we had a long letter explained <laughs> to do that. <laughs> and once he, uh, uh, his wife was sitting on the edge of a table, uh, a bed, the dog leaped, and she fell back against the night table, cut her head. You know what happened to the dog? No supper that night. No supper that night. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> a real disciplinarian. What a so what's the Oval Table? So the Oval Table is an organization that's set up by, sort of, uh, I guess you can't really say this, self-aggrandizing device for Joe Bing. Uh, he invited some people to come together once a year. Among them was, uh, and uh, they talk about the accomplishments of, of the membership during the year. So-and-so uh, had a degree, so-and-so uh, wrote a book, somebody else did. Whatever they happened to achieve during that year, if they can call it achievement, which it wasn't always. Backpacking, backpacking, something like that. Uh, members were Dr. C.E.K. Mees, uh, the portrait uh, photographer was blind in one eye. Fifth uh, Avenue, he photographed only men with a long lens, so he got this, this sort of plain, you know, everything was really. Um, the other day. Well, I'll think of it. Nicholas Murai, Henry Lester, and a few other people like that. And these were all members of this particular group who got together so that they talked talk, talk about this, that, and that. And you, you were a member of this group? I was made a member of it because I, I used to work for him. And one day he calls me up to his loft up there and says, you are now a member of the house. I knight you. <laughs> It was no big deal, really. Sal Spender was a member. Uh, what the, what was it? Whiteman? No. Whiteman, E.P. Whiteman was a member. He's not known. Just a wealthy guy. But uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, portrait photographer, because uh, he's pretty famous on Fifth Avenue. Hmm. 
Okay, well that and that's about what it came. They had dinner at the athletic New York Athletic Club. We have drinks. No, we have dinner. No, chew the fat. Men brought their wives. It's sort of a social thing. Okay, what about the? Uh, now I don't know if you were, remember this or not, but I wondered if you knew anything about it. A group called the Circle of Confusion. Yeah, it's been revived, but not on the same level. The Circle of Confusion, it was at a time when we were all groping how to master this medium, mm -hmm. uh, that miniature. And members were uh, Willard Morgan, Henry Lester, uh, Boney. Albert Boney? Albert Boney. That's where he got the idea for his Literature thing? Not the literature, but the... Uh, uh, what do they call it? The trip production, the microfilming. Yeah. And uh, a few other people like that. Uh, Zeller of Lights. Zeller was one of the uh, chemists, uh, one of the authorities. How do you spell Zeller, do you know? Z I E H L E R. Uh, he's a, he was with, uh, with lights. He lights. Uh, and they used to discuss these things and come up with some. Harvey, uh, Harold Harvey, the designer, the Harvey's developer, hmm. and uh, a lot of sank through, uh, used up a lot of solutions to, to design a 777 developer. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it, yeah. That's his. Yeah. And he's just built a lot of stuff down the drain until he finally got this formula. And people are still using it. Some old devotees, you know, devotees. Mm -hmm. uh, and the people like that, they were, they were, they were in, uh, interested in the, in the craft of the medium, the craft conscious thing. And, the, and they were always searching for new, uh, further extending the, the uh, capabilities of the medium to mm -hmm. accommodate the new 35 millimeter medium. Cortez mentioned this group in relation to himself. That maybe he was a member too. That uh, this was apparently one of the few groups of people that he talked to really uh, at any, you know, had any real interaction with when he first arrived or shortly after. Yeah, uh, it could be because they were. Uh, it's supposed to be an elite group. There's certain people belong to it, and you came into it on, uh, on the level of uh, well, uh, Wolfman, Augustus Wolfman, I think was a member. Of it. And then, then it was revived later after the war. And I'm, I was invited to it later. I'm now a member of it. Mm -hmm. But it's become more or less of a social group now. There's much... Uh, they do have election now and then, but... It's, uh, it's mostly getting together for mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And see old friends and so forth. Yeah, um, this is a little off the beaten track here, but... <clears throat> did you know um, anything personally about the Photographic Guild of Detroit? At any point in its history, um, well, I knew some people from there, and they're they were they're all very technique conscious, and they were uh, apparently highly respected as printmakers. Uh, we don't talk about the creativity of it because uh, I don't think in that group does anybody understand what that what that means. Mm -hmm. So you react to them only on a basis of. I, I knew some of the people. I used to meet them at various meetings. Mm -hmm. But they're a very elect group. Like one of the, uh, I mean, I, they thought very highly of themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I don't know if, see, I'm interested in a, in a period from about 1940 to 42 when Arthur Siegel was in Detroit yeah. and Callahan was still there and Todd Webb was still there yeah. and fellas like Joe, Joe Monroe mm -hmm. and a guy named Don Shapiro, I don't know if you know his name, he's in California now, um, were all very active in it and uh, they kind of were a rump group to the real camera club itself but they were you know that's sort of how they came together and there seemed to be a lot of that energy in Detroit right at that point in time mm -hmm. and uh, I just wondered if you knew any you know well, I wasn't out there I was uh, never invited out there there would be no reason to mm -hmm. so okay well that's just maybe that's just more of a, a personal um, interest um, we were talking as we were going to lunch about uh, the photo league and about yeah. Sid Grossman. Mm -hmm. um, when did you first become aware of the photo league? Uh, I mean, what was its kind of reputation uh, initially? What was your first recollection about it? Uh, first recollection, I'm not sure it was the very first one. I had an interview with Sid Grossman. It was after the war. I didn't know before that. Did you know about the group before the war at all? Yeah. That they existed? Uh, I was trying to think of when I did that piece on the photo league because I took a picture of a group of them standing around. So I think it was before I went to right field, before 42. Be, be, uh, I mean around 43 or 40, something like that. Mm. In the mid-40s maybe. But I got to know Sid after the war when I used to cover their meetings. Other meetings, they'd have a talk like uh, Arnold Newman mm. would give a talk and uh, and uh, Cartier Brisson was there one day, and, and uh, one evening, and, and Newhall translated for him. Cartier would always hide behind somebody, very, very self-conscious, shy, they used to call it. I never used to buy that thing at all. Mm -hmm. Cartier was shy, that we couldn't get it. And, uh, why, well, why did he do it then, do you think? I don't know, I think it's an effect. You know, a cocktail, you can't take a picture of him. I don't know whether today you can, without his barking at you. He calls you over. Says, who did you ask me to take you? But he doesn't ask anybody else, you know. But he was at a meeting at the, uh, in his honor. You can see him under an art. He never stood up. And, uh, uh, but he was a pretty guy. Then there was, in the, they used to have meetings like, well, Ansel Adams would come and give a talk uh, on, uh, the photo league versus pictorialism. Yeah, you, you, you described some of the contents of that meeting and the discussion in, say, with your camera. Oh, yeah. That uh, Smith and Halsman, I think, were uh, contesting certain aspects of what you had to say. Yeah. Well, that's, that's that, that aspect. But, uh, see, these things sort of jump around. Uh, well, the question about the photo league is, um, you know, what... What are they... What, well, they had... They had these uh, meetings. They had a sh show. They had shows with the with the uh, East Coast, West Coast uh, photographers. They had one East and West. You know, they had the uh, West Coast and and they, they resented. I remember they resented being called the West Coast photographers. They're just photographers. You know? And uh, uh, and they had some fine photographs then, and they were both in the same show except on separate walls. And. Uh, uh, See, uh, Newhalls were members of this, 
And they pulled out when they, this thing happened, you know, about the... The Attorney General? Yeah. Yeah, they, it seems like the Photo League was a, um, a victim of the Cold War, essentially, uh, at a point after its politics had really cooled somewhat, in a sense. But I wonder what your perception of that was, because that was a very real issue when it happened. Well, I never had a sense that this was really a, 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 a communist group. There was, was this woman, I've forgotten the, the Italian name. Oh, I... Yeah. yeah. That she's the one who spilled the beans, if there were any beans that he spilled. Sid had befriended her. He took her under his care and taught her photography and told her everything that the, the, the photo league was for. And then she goes somewhere and the, the, the FBI and tells her to come in front. Mm -hmm. So at that time, everybody was very touchy. You know, so they believe anything you said against the communists. So it said uh, we had to close up. I was called a member of the league, but I corrected that. I, I sent a letter to Walter Rosenblum. I said, you know very well I'm not a member of the league. And I, I hope you don't keep on including me, because mm -hmm. I'm not a joiner of anything anyway. This especially. Uh, but I had nothing against them. I saw them as a photographers who were really thinking my kind of photography. Personal, expression, expressive photography uh, with a social content, mm -hmm. but not propagandist. And, and I, uh, anybody trying to tie, tie me in with that, of course, was lying because I'm not a, I'm not a propagandist type. I'm not, I'm not socialistic. I just like people. I'm a people photographer uh, oriented. Mm -hmm. uh, so what about Sid Grossman himself? So Sid himself, uh, the first time I met him, we sat down and uh, I interviewed him on teaching photography. And uh, just about that time, Dave Vestal came in. Dave had raggy pants, a beat-up old camera. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about the, in, in the uh, influence of the camera on the photographer. And he explained to me that uh, Dave used to have a 4 by 5 and his pictures were terrible. And now that he used a Leica, whatever it was, he's a completely new man. Mm -hmm. So apparently it was a medium for the man. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but a, a small camera does make a difference to you. If you're an impulsive type of photographer uh, who likes to take life on the run, you can do with a large camera. Although they say you can. Uh, and then uh, I used to come and cover their shows. Mm -hmm. Well, they had the shows. I come and report them in the paper. And uh, and then I was in on their project on Lewis Hine. And there I really bawled them out. They were they were reprinting all Lewis Hine pictures and turning out portfolios of it. Say I think five prints, selling for five dollars to support the the league and to support the. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether Heinrich was still alive, I don't think he was. His son, Koryden. Uh And they were supposed to do the, they couldn't, it was very difficult for them to get enough volunteers in there, in that small room, to work on these things. So they say, look, you guys are so damn committed to this guy. Well, how come that you're, you find it so difficult to get volunteers? 
they never really did complete that project. Uh -huh. I think the only portfolio they put out was one, and I bought it. Huh. And it had some of the uh, uh, Ellis Island characters. Beautiful things. Uh -huh. Of course, today we know these, they're more familiar. Uh, so <laughs> You could have been one of them, huh, almost. Yeah, yeah. Okay. See, I started very late. I met, uh, I tell you before that I'm a late comer in photography. Uh, so I, I never had the advantage of being there as a youth and getting, in, getting into it. I had to accept what I found and to adapt myself to what mm -hmm. I saw. No, but I, I meant too, you could, you could have been in the Ellis Island pictures almost. In the almost. pictures, yeah. Because yeah. he was photographing. He was 1905. No, it was a little early. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Close. Close. <laughs> Who knows? Um, well, did you ever sit in on a class? Of Sid Grossman's, and how did he go about it? I did, it? yeah. He was rough. He was rough. Mr. Dave Estill was his right-hand man. Dave didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. Not a peep out of him. Because Sid could be very cruel. So some man came in one day, was sitting in the back, and tried to give Sid an argument. Mm -hmm. And they shoot him. And, uh, 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 and he made some comment that Sid really sat on him. Uh, he, he just couldn't. Uh, he said, well, What do you know about this? Uh, he looked at him. Why did he take this, pic this picture? He said, Well, I. You know, <laughs> how can you can't always explain why you take a picture? You know, you, you liked it. And you t so he wants you to go through the whole rigmarole. I think many things cannot be explained in life. Mm -hmm. Photographs, especially, you look at. A, a subject, and you photograph it, and you print it as well as you can. Beyond that, uh, uh, it's your interpretation. I, as a photographer, may not even want to interpret it. So he required that kind of interpretation. Yeah, he wants you. Uh, he wants you to read it. I'm sorry. Um, okay, let's now, see. Next one, I'll tell him to hang up. Well, no, whatever. Um, well, was there any other things specifically about Sid Grossman that... Um, about Sid? That uh, uh, well, he's a I mean, you know, disciplinarian. He's a very difficult man. He's been good for a lot of people who have been bad to him, in a sense. That is, that he... Uh, uh, he, he didn't mistreat them according to his likes, because he was really a kind man. But he had a peculiar way of showing it. And uh, a good teacher, because he sort of drummed perception into you and dumped out of you whatever it is you had and he, many photographers suffered at his hands has uh, been grateful for that because they felt that they owe a lot to him for teaching them what they know uh -huh. for developing them. Uh -huh. okay let me um let me uh, this is a well there's a couple sort of big names here that I'm uh, that just I want to see whatever it is that you personally can contribute. I, the first question being, did you ever meet Alfred Stieglitz? No. Never, never actually met him or visited? Uh, you know, I've never gone out of my way to meet great people. <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a peculiarity. I sort of think they expect that, so I'm going to fool them. Not that it made any difference. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, why should I go to see Stieglitz? You know, uh, I, I felt, you know. And uh, I had just come back from Wright Field, and I felt kind of humble about the whole thing. And I was trying to make a do something with the times. And I come. And I just I, never, I did see Dorothy Norman and talk with her several times. 
Uh -huh. The theater place, very posh place. Uh -huh. And uh, I've forgotten what it was we talked about, but I think I reported the time somewhere. Okay. And what about someone who you surely would have met various times, um, Steichen? Oh, yeah. I had a great uh, rapport with Steichen. I think partly because I liked him and I liked the things he was doing. Uh -huh. I thought he was doing a great educational job, which we have overlooked since. He would place four photographers in one room. Yeah, and you've written about this, how the... You saw the that. And this is sort of the, he played one against another uh -huh. to see what comes out. Defining photography in terms of different personalities. Certainly showed a very broad range of work, really. He did. Remarkably broad. I mean, he had Ted Kroner, for example, just a cowboy, uh -huh. you know, uh, with uh, Bill Brandt in the same, and Callahan. Yeah. He was a very genteel little guy, little grasses. I mean, they're so totally opposed to each other. Yeah, he was one of the few people to show Frederick Sommer in That's the photographic right. world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so what. He, what what was your um, what was your personal relationship to him? Was it uh, well well I uh, just was there well, was it at all close or did you just simply not uh, close? No, I never get close with people. I know it's like being close with a family. I hate families. Mm -hmm. So it's the same with friends. If I overdo it to get too close, then you're not your own man, and and you're obliged to. Go their way instead of your own. So, are, are but I, I did. I covered every show he had, and I got several letters from him liking what I did, uh, and uh, uh, I followed. I, I followed his '55 show from the beginning, announcement of the Family Man, and uh, uh, and uh, I used to go to uh, write write about everything he did, and I used to get to him early in order to get the announcement in the paper, so he gave me the release before he'd written it. And it, it you know, a rough copy, then he sort of had this way of writing, it was up and down kind of writing. You could hardly read it. And, uh, you know, just a lot of li thin lines. But you, you couldn't shape them into words or letters. Uh, very difficult to do it. And I, some of these I showed to Grace Mary. She was able to use that in her book. Uh -huh. uh, but uh, outside of that, and we, whenever we meet him, though, he's very cordial. We chatted, and uh, beyond that, I uh, uh, I didn't see any point for getting any closer. What was your feeling about some of the criticism that's been leveled, perhaps more recently, towards *The Family of Man* as being a show that, uh, um, to some extent, slighted the aspect of the individual photographer? Yeah, well, I was the complaint at the time it, they opened it. Because that's, that's what I meant by professionalism before. See, these guys are so damn blind. They think that they've got to get credit for everything they do. He gave them credit, so he didn't put it up in eight, eight, ten, ten, uh, ten point letters. Uh -huh. But they, they, they expected the... And I think, he said, well, this is Steichen's... Well, sure, he's an editor. He's doing this thing as an editor. And uh, he can't play up each individual photographer. Uh, uh, Alan Scherner at the... Uh, the family, the this thing at the at the at the Metropolitan Museum, uh, you know, the, the black uh, Harlem on my mind. Harlem on my mind. Uh, Roy de Carava was picketing the place because he didn't get a whole room to himself. Stupid. I mean, this man was trying to create a, 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 an impression, uh -huh. uh, trying to get, get across an idea, uh, not to not to not to uh, play up any particular photographer. This is photography in terms of the black man.
in his history. And that beyond that, that if you were doing a Roy DiCarava show, he would have played him up and given him all the, uh, the yeah, claim right. that he needed. But but, uh, but this is different. Uh, Roy has been a difficult guy, but that's another story, too. But uh, uh, but we have we we had a good relationship. I always I always had uh, I never had any trouble with him. I remember on one occasion, a young man came in to see me at the Times, showed me some pictures of uh, he had taken with a Roly or some small camera, some twin lens camera, and the prints were pale, they were gray, you know. But I could see, they had taken to a picture editor, and she said, well, we can't use that, why don't you see Desher? And everybody over me, they thought, I, they thought I'd have the patience to talk with them. And they said, you know, there's a lot of things in here uh, that uh, really worthwhile, but I can't get into them because they, they're not printed. So I suggested, why don't you join this park, park west? Oh, okay. I'll tell you something. Well, he wants, she wants to know why he, he requires 50% commissions doesn't advertise her. She happens to be a damn good photographer, but she's not known. That's right. Anyway. This is life. Next time I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> I won't even answer it. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. It's okay. This is an infinite process. <laughs> so we, Infinity process. We will not do it all anyway. Uh, we mentioned Bernie Sabbath, but I was just going to ask, was there some, you know, what can you add to the... Uh, or is there some particular thing you recall about Bernice that uh, characterizes your dealings with her? <laughs> well, there's one. Uh, one, I don't know we can talk about it. Let, let me tell you. And then you can use it or not, or in, interpolate it or interpret it. You know, uh, Bernice and Bill Brandt and Brassai were three, they were all in Woodkin's stable. Right. You know. Then comes. Bill, uh, then comes uh, 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 Lund from Washington, and he buys, the, well, Marlborough. Right. He practically buys her away from Whitkin. Right, right. No. Yeah, that's pretty well known. Yeah. Now, I come to the opening of the Abbott show. Oh, and I, I happened to call him one day, and, and he says, uh, by the way, Bernice is here. You want to talk to her? I said, sure, I was glad to talk to Bernice. You know, why not? Well, slide anybody. And uh, she said, uh, started practically weeping on the telephone. She said, what shall I do? Uh, I, uh, uh, these people are, I've got to think of myself. I've got to think of, you know, what I'm, they can make money for me. And so, I said, look, you're a big girl now, uh, 70. And you can, uh, you certainly know what you want. If you want money, you know what to do. You know, that these guys do have the money. But I'm not telling you anything that you make up your own mind. As it happened, the interpretation she got out of it was that I told her to sell it, to not to sell to Lund or Mar mm. Mar Mar Marlboro. How can I tell her that? That's not my decision. Mm. Well, Lund so happens that could and did do a lot better for her than Whitkin did. Right. Oh, yeah. It's been good. He did a great job for her on the, her first show. Well, I came to the opening, and Paul Katz, who was the curator there, said, practically kicked me in the shins. He says, what's the idea of uh, taking, a, of sabotaging our deal with uh, Renee Sabbath? I said, what are you talking about? So well, she told me, you told her not, not to sell the Marlboro. I said, that's ridiculous. How can she possibly 
say that. And later on, I faced Bernice with it. I said, well, that's what I thought you said. I said, Bernice, you know damn well I didn't say that. Besides, I would not have the right to tell yeah. you what to do. Yeah, well, Bernice is just difficult anyway. It's I know she is, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so one day I was there on a Saturday, and she came in, just to see how the <laughs> thing was going. And so I, I had to talk with her about it. And I don't know what she, whether she ever told her, but it, it's, cats didn't never believe after that. I lost that confidence. Yeah. So, I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't talk to photographers. Just like uh, uh, Brooks Atkinson, he'd have to talk to, uh, to uh, uh, theater people. Yeah. You know, I never went to lunch with him. He's on his own, whatever he said is uninfluenced. So that, uh, but otherwise, uh, she uh, always liked it, we always got along fine. Uh, 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 I interviewed her several times. And I've used material of hers. Uh -huh. I mean, there interviews on it. And uh, the last time I interviewed her was in connection with McCausland. Uh -huh. But I didn't get a hell of a lot out of that. Well, I got an impression that she used to. Uh, uh, it? Uh, she was going to send me some book that McCausland had done on, on, on a painter. Yeah, I know. To give, to give me Lamson, a, Henry Lamson. Yeah. Oh, she, she never sent me that book. She yeah. never sent it. To me. And uh, she gave her a copy. Yeah, she has a couple spare copies of that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a number of them actually. I, I guess. Uh, what's it? Hmm? There are what? There's a number of spare. She's a box of them, I think. In fact, now that I think yeah. about it. Well, I guess the only thing is to go out there. I. I yeah, got, you gotta go out there. I haven't got that kind of time. Yeah. I don't know why to help people demand it. They go and hold their hands. <laughs> okay, well, enough about Bernice then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we're friendly. <laughs> I almost don't know where to start here to try and make this a little more in terms of priorities, but there's some people that um, that uh, have played interesting roles in different points in time here. Ivan Dimitri is yeah, one. That's an interesting character. Uh, he did uh, something called Photography in the Fine Arts. He cajoled Eastman Kodak into giving him, I think, $25,000 to start this project. Mm -hmm. uh, he bought a great many cases, uh, for 90 bucks a piece. He had a made in which he could ship these things around. He invited me over to look to for uh, one uh, one person's seance to show me these photographs. Some of them he didn't know, even know who these people were. Now, was he was this organized through the Met? Was he at the Met, or what was this? No, he was not at the Met. He sold the idea to the Met to show that, to give it status. Uh-huh. Because the Met was interested, and they had a, let's see, how should I go about this? Then they had the first, the first Met show, they had dinner or luncheon at the Stanhope Hotel, which is uh, very posh, and called in the press, and Kodak was all over the place. I mean, it was a good giveaway, you know. So I, I went there, and and uh, we all went, and then we had uh, wrote we had some bad reviews on this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 this woman who worked for the Herald Tribune, uh, art critic, she just tore the thing apart. And most people didn't like it because they felt, who the hell is he to say that photography has just been discovered as fine art? There's mm -hmm. a fine art uh, uh, in the garage time, most of it anyway. Uh, he declared a fine art. I think it was because 
De La Court, was it, uh, who said that from now on, painting is dead? Right, from today forward. Right. Uh, and the, uh, uh, let's see, what so what was the program? What were, what were uh, the... Uh, we just sat around, they announced the show, announced the project, and uh, everybody went and saw the show. And these were pictures selected by directors of photography, uh, art, uh, uh, directors of, uh, museum directors, about 10 or 11 of them. And they're the ones who did the selecting. Now, you had nobody from photography there. Hmm. You had... Uh, what did they select from? Did he present them with the things to select from? These, these were, that's right, he presented, he, how did he get, I think they invited the well-known photographers to submit photographs, and these were uh, contributed, and they hung them. Now, they were, they were contributed, but not everything was hung. There had to be a consensus yeah. on what pictures they were going to show. And these, whatever was shown was the consensus of these 11 directors. Uh, and you said he invited you over once for a meeting uh, to to look at the pictures he was going to show before the exhibition. And he had his girl put up these prints one after another, and these are the pictures. Well, I recognize them, and because uh, I know who the photographers were, and what, what this was that photograph. But he didn't know. What uh, was his background? That he was. He's a nature. His name was Levin West. Levin West. L e v o n. W-E-S-T. <laughs> He's a naturalist. He uh, did very well with the Saturday Evening Post and photographs, color photographs. And he's a, quite a promoter. Mm -hmm. So the whole thing was something he had sold to Eastman Kodak as a promotion for them. I mean, that's the way it turned out to be. The time the World's Fair, uh, these pictures were some of these. Oh, he invited 11 directors to pick that. 10 best pictures to hang at the World's Fair. In 64? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so they were hanging out there in the air, gathering all the dust. And uh, this was a party for the press. We were to come there at 3 o'clock, cocktail party. And, uh, uh, and more, um, the director of the Metropolitan. Uh, How, is it Howe? No. No, more. Uh, Anyway, anyway, he was, so we sat around drinking, galore. Everybody was drinking themselves silly. Uh, and uh, his various directors were there, and I questioned one of them uh, about the show. And uh, he seemed to think he was, uh, he had the capacity for it, he had the, he had the right to judge these things. But the, uh, uh, after, it was all, after they had made all these choices, so we then had dinner, and this, mind it, it was touted as not a something, something uh, that Kodak was behind, but as something that they, their hosts, in for this thing. But it's it's even Richard's thing. They served uh, inch-thick roast beef. They had there must have been 200 people there, and we all sat down after we'd been drinking for three hours. And then there were uh, these little red jackets running, yellow jackets running around the place, taking pictures, you know. Uh, and uh, nobody else was there. This is strictly, I mean, if they try to hide it, they're certainly doing a lousy job. 
because all these people are obviously correct people. Who else would wear a yellow jacket? <laughs> <laughs> and we had this wonderful dinner. They had all kinds of people there, or people with money, posh people you could tell, people of influence. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was that. Well, well, what was his? I mean, had you ever heard of him before this program? Oh yeah, Come I, on, knew I mean, it. he'd done all this. He done a lot of magazine illustration. He was for Saturday Evening Post. Well known for doing color. Yeah, I guess that's right. Travel stuff. Um, but his fame as an artist came from his work as a nature under the name of Levin West. He didn't want to confuse the two issues, so he called himself Ivan Dmitri. <laughs> I remember when I was a Scientific American, we had an exhibition, we had a contest. So he invited Ivan Dmitri and the, an artist and a commercial photographer to be the three judges. And. Uh, uh, we had, uh, I don't know what I say about that. Oh, the P Fred Peel, I think it was Peel, the publisher, came out and he saw Dmitri and says, What's this I hear about this Russian here? <laughs> so I know him as Levin West. So I said, Well, it's, uh, he's just changed his name. So he blanched. But, the, uh, <laughs> but that, that was just a benefit. But they had, uh, but he is a promoter, and Bob Brown used to promote Levin West, Dmitri. Uh, so he was really. I see. But there was not. Uh, well, they then they used to they got these people to defend Dmitri because they feel that he put the photographs, photography, into the museums. Now that may be so, because they didn't know what the hell it was all about. Mm -hmm. They would send these things out, uh, fifty at a time. And they, they would be, uh, it would be uh, sent around museum to museum, and that spread the word around that photography is a fine art. But nobody, uh, people felt that either it was or it wasn't. He was not the one to uh, to prove it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, people still feel that he made he 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 made photography uh, what it is today. But then he died, poor guy. He never returned the photographs to anybody. His wife uh, held on and wouldn't tell anybody where they are. They should. They weren't. It didn't belong to him. They should have returned. Huh. Been returned to the photographer. But anyway, that's as far. That was just an incident. They didn't. Uh, if he was still alive, I think he would still be plugging this thing. Yeah. Rorimer, James Rorimer was the edit, was the uh, uh, director of the museum. Okay. What about um, the? Uh, well, this is. I don't know if you ever even met this guy, um, Paul Outerbridge. Well, not a bunch. Did you ever meet yeah, him? I met him. He was kind of cold guy. You make some reference to him in one of your books, I think, or maybe. Uh, well, I was quoting things that he said. Yeah. Of his book, you know, and he's highly regarded today by painters. Uh, they've they sort of rediscovered Outer Bridge. Hmm. Uh, but you never had any real not, contact not, with him yourself. I had no. I had no. no Outside reason. of reading his book and yeah, that I had kind no of reason thing. to. No. Um, because he, you know, for a time he went off by himself for two years. To yeah. study the medium on his own, to come up with his own answers yeah. rather than study it. What about um, another name that I would like to know more about, uh, Nicholas Haas? Nick Haas was a pictorialist, dirty war. Uh, uh, Where did, was he a New York type? He was, I think, in Chicago. I or think. Cleveland, is that possible? That's possible, yeah. Any place outside of New York is Chicago. <laughs> Any place else than New York or Chicago. Yeah. I'll remember that. But beyond the pale. Uh, Nick Haas was, uh, then he had a girlfriend, 
and he was uh, some kind of an operator himself, and he belonged. He was in the Victoria clique and a pontificator, and uh, he was highly regarded by guys who liked Fassbender, that kind of thing. Really, I, for some reason, I'm not sure why, I associate his name with a kind of an abstract color photogram type of a thing. Is that? It could be. Yeah. Could be. Nothing you know about firsthand. Specifically. Uh, no, no, I don't. Did he do, uh, did he teach? Or was yeah. he? He was teaching. Yeah, they all had to teach. Because in order to create an image, they had to get up there in front and pontificate. And the more sure you were mm -hmm. uh, of what you were saying, the more you, uh, more you were respected. Well, what about Fassbender himself? Did you uh, know him well? or? Yeah, I knew him pretty well. What kind of a guy was he? What was his background? Well, you know, how did he get into it? Fassbender used to sell a paper called Tuma Gas. Called what? T-U-M-A. Gas. That's the name of the paper. Mm -hmm. The trade name. The gas referred to the process of printing, I guess. Gas-like paper. The well, really a chlorobromide paper. Very fine paper. And he used to demonstrate it. Mm -hmm. He used to go around selling it and demonstrating it. Then eventually they went off the market, and Vespan uh, himself, by demonstrating, he was showing people how he was teaching photography, pictorial photography, and he was a great paper negative enthusiast. Uh, and uh, where did he teach? Uh, in his own home at Seventh Avenue, eight hundred something Seventh Avenue. Or right, he'd go around the country teaching, he'd give classes. Mm -hmm. And he'd have, uh, he'd have a certain wealthy clientele, they'd pay him $50 a lesson, something like that. And uh, uh, he, uh, Mildred Hattree was one name that he is, the wealthy people, because who could afford 50 bucks for a lesson? And uh, then his wife died, and he married Frankie Fassbender, who had been the wife of Buchmann. You know the uh, what is what is that magazine on which goes? Um, Bloomin, Bloomin, excuse me, Bloomin. Was it Bloomin? Uh, could be. I don't know. One of those old magazines. And uh, when he died, uh, they got together. And she married her. So Frankie is fast been the second wife. His first wife had not been interested in photography. So the second wife, but the second wife was because she's sort of helping him. Mm -hmm. And she's been very good to him in his older age. He's over 90. Mm -hmm. I thought one day I'd get, but he's stubborn. He, he believed in what he was doing, and he thought that everybody, he thought they, these things that so-called uh, contemporary photographers didn't know what they were doing. They were, they were just a bunch of amateurs. Just a fad that would pass? A fad that would pass. <laughs> and uh, what else? Uh, oh, I forgot this one. But he was, highly, he, he also highly regarded by the professional photographers, the portrait photographers. Hmm. And his things were static and they were labored. Mm -hmm. The pictorial things. Uh, the, at least in the old days when they used pictorialism, they weren't labored. Mm -hmm. you know, but fastbenders yeah. were. They used to tone them uh, until they almost died under his fingers. <laughs> and he had a book called the Pictorial Artistry. Uh, when I was a member of the Oval Table, he had booked that. The book was published 
and he brought around a whole bunch of them. Which is a real big book? Big book. Yeah, I've seen it. He yeah. paid him 15 bucks a piece. And his signature signatures in the back. This is part of the curiosa of photography. Yes, yeah, sure. That's one of the things you would buy if you wanted to buy that sort of thing. There must be a lot of things of that sort. I don't know who would pay for it. Somebody might. What about, maybe this is a more general question that, we're, that would be worth devoting some time to. The whole question of uh, what today could be called photographic education, um, and certainly has come to be that. It's a, it's a big industry almost at this point, but yeah. uh, we were talking uh, at lunch about uh, Rabinovich, or how, what did, how did you pronounce it? I guess that's right. <laughs> I was never quite sure. Rabinovich, I, I think it's that's it. Actually, I'm on a second syllable. Who, who ran the school. Yeah. Well, he was, the, he was the school. He was the school. He was it, yeah. What was his background, what kind of a guy was he? Uh, he was a uh, really pictorialist too, but he didn't call himself that. He poo pooed Steichen and everybody else at his time. He was the photographers, the others didn't know what they were talking about. He did something, he used to teach uh, a certain select group, and they turned out to be good photographers. But he had a very small group because they didn't. Uh, he, he was, uh, you're talking about Rabinovich now. He, uh, he laid down the law, this is all you do. And they had little cubicles, they'd have a lecture, and then they go into their little little hole and do their printing, and then they come up and, and discuss it. And they had a certain group called the Eleven. And this Eleven would be eleven students who, who would discuss photography, the aesthetic side. He did something on the uh, Magnolia, Magnolia was it? About 50 variations of that one plant. And he had it, uh, as you walked up the stairs, you could see it. Fifty variations, like like, like stacking with his cup and saucer. You know, this is his exercise. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, how long was he active? Uh, when did the, the school go out of existence? Uh, well, he did get, he when die? He died, when he died, yeah. When was that roughly? Do you recall? Fifties? Earlier? I think even later than that. Exact. I'm not very good at dates. I could easily find that out for you. Uh, because I know at a certain period his ads appear in some of the periodicals, and uh, well, they may have died out because they didn't have any money to pay for advertising. But he had these shows, very interesting. I, I wrote a piece because I thought there was something there. The first show I saw. Then he'd send me another card and said, "New show." So I come and say most stuff. Dirty Howard Martin, the dirty mounts, and oh, mo moved around. Moved around. Moved around. <laughs> and I said, but. Um, Rob, these are, uh, I saw these the last time, says, oh no, they, these are not the same. I, 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 some, these are some others I had back then. But eventually they were all there and they just being rotated from time to time, you know. And they just didn't have any more. That's all he had. And people used to come and uh, one woman, I said something, I ranted on and on and on about a chair once. Uh, it was done by a photographer, was very good. But he didn't uh, wash his prints too well. And sometimes later I asked for a print, I got it, but it faded. <laughs> so, so I mean, so yellow. Hmm. And he had, uh, uh, so he, I don't know that he ever sold anything. I don't know where he got any. I think he divorced his wife, but she used to come see him anyway. Is the school his means of support? Yeah, he had nothing else. Couldn't sell anything else. He gave away his portfolios. He gave me one. 
Had he worked as a professional photographer prior to starting school? Uh, as a teacher. He always been a teacher. So I imagine, I knew him as a teacher. Before that, uh, I think he did a little professional. Not too much, probably. He's a very independent guy. Hmm. Probably could get along with people. Yeah. Well, it seems like after the war, and to some extent just before it, there's, a, there's the beginnings of uh, photography being taught in universities. Yeah. Clarence White, Jr. Mm -hmm. is one. And I know in a couple of your books you mentioned uh, Gerda Pederick. Uh, Gerda Pederick, yeah. yeah. She used to work at Eastman House. Okay. And she also was at Ohio University, I That's guess, right. at some point. Yeah. And I would like to know a little more about her. Um, well, she's kind of Germanic. She invited me out there one day to talk to her students. To Ohio? To Ohio. And I went out, and I didn't enjoy doing it because I don't enjoy doing that sort of thing. And she uh, criticized me afterward for talking in such an adult fashion to youngsters. I said to me, they're not youngsters. I mean, to treat them, I talk to them as uh, talk to you or anybody else. So she didn't, but she's dramatic. She's, you know, hand me down, that sort of thing. Say, you do as I say. Was she teaching there with Clarence White? No, no, Clarence White was long before. You mean the second Clarence? Clarence White, Jr. No, Jr. came later. He came later. Uh, no, no, that's, uh, she, she left. And he came? And then he came, I think. Or maybe somebody, somebody was in there. I know Clarence White was in there toward the end. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, went to somewhere. Hmm. Uh, I don't know where it went. Yeah. Okay, well, um... But Gerda did a number of projects which were interesting. Something on cobblestones in, Rock in, East, in Rochester. Photographic projects. Yes. Her own photographs. That's right. All her own. She did something in New Hampshire, preservation of the old mill town in New Hampshire. What she did, she used to go around, got a grant to do this by the University of New Hampshire. And she went around photographing these old buildings which were being torn down. And very often she'd get there just as they were <laughs> destroying a building, uh -huh. like a railroad station. You know, uh, right after she left, they destroyed it. <laughs> she, she took the picture back. <laughs> Hope she did her work well. Yes, yeah, no did. second she's, chance. She's a good photographer. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking at dance lunch. Photography she did. Hmm? She's well known for her dance photography. Ah. We, um, we were talking at lunch a little bit also about Lewis Walton Sipley himself. Yeah, Lewis Sipley. Um, he, was, he really had a, a new people around the world, inventors. Mm -hmm. He did a book on that. And uh, he was trying to get the, uh, make a list of the inventors of photography, get together material on that and make a book out of it. Well, he did. But somewhere in there, the PP of A, learned that he was doing this thing, they wanted to do it. And wouldn't he come in with them? <laughs> well, they had a hell of a nerve because they knew nothing at all. And uh, they just wanted his know-how and they would take all, all the credit. So, of course, he refused. And uh, and they had, so they started their own. And, of course, they started off with Daguerre and uh, 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 Talbot. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the obvious ones. Right. And then they in included some, some others other guys who really weren't deserving. Then he said, Shana, so it's been, the whole PPMA is really a false alarm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, strictly from under these guys. Mm -hmm. They're worse than the P, I mean, they're the same. PSA and PPA, same. But in terms of Sipley, uh, did you visit the museum? I, I did. It was a, 
it was a very personal kind of thing. And I took some pictures, I think, around that. And, uh, How do you mean personal? I mean... I mean, personal selections. It, he was uh, a kind of classic, uh, kind of classic, is that the word? I mean, he picked the thing that he liked. Uh -huh. uh, he was a, a pro-Philadelphia. There was a group of Philadelphia photographers they used to meet once in a while. He, he plugs uh, a man named... Um, was, uh, nobody else knows who the hell he is. Uh, he's, he's be Portrait been, photographer? Yeah. Po Elias Goldensky? Elias Goldensky, you know that name. <laughs> and nobody else ever heard of him and, and didn't care when, when they did hear about him. Uh -huh. But it was, it's, it's a hometown, he's a hometown boy. But he, uh, but he, he his, his real interest was technology. He did a book on the history of the first half century of photo color photography. He did uh, some, he did a memoir, uh, print, published a memoir by a man named Wexler, was it? Wenzel. Uh, Wenzel, excuse me. Photo Memoirs of a Photochemist. Yes, that. I know the book. <laughs> and he, uh, I have the book, he sent it to me. And, the, and I have the inventors, the inventors of photography, that, and the half century of color. Uh, and uh, Nick Murray's stuff is in his uh, collection. Is it? Uh, I don't know, I don't by any means know the extent of the collection, yeah. yeah. But Nick Murray gave him some. When Nick died, uh, his wife called the blue in, pick anything you want. And so whatever he took, uh, that was his. He could take anything yeah. that was ever close. So anything he wanted, he took and uh, he's got it. It's in his, in his collection. Mm -hmm. And Nick used to collect things. Uh, he was a great collector, uh, but he used to, he did have some things of some value. Mm -hmm. uh, Were you involved in any of the uh um, goings on after he died and the museum cl was closed is to bring you to New York. I know there was a movement at one point to do yeah, that. Yeah, we had a meeting, several meetings. Who's, uh, now who's we? Well, Lloyd Varden, who was a friend of his. Uh, I think Harkness was in it. I was in on it. Uh, and a couple of people who were uh, his friends, somebody in Philadelphia, Gottlieb Hamfler? Could be, I don't know. He's the official photographer for the uh, flower, the um, what Delaware uh, uh, Gardens, or the, uh, uh, you know, the, what, are, what are the, these wealthy people out there? DuPonts? DuPonts. They're, 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 uh, the, the museum? The, the, the gardens. The winter tour? The gardens. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyway. I've got what they call them. These things escape you, you know, you can't, just can't remember them. Um, Anyway, this group, this was the group. So this was the group. We used to sit around. What do we do with it? So gee, we should have uh, uh, Cooper Union should give us some space to house this. Well, they thought about it for a while. Cooper Union didn't want it. But we have other plans for the space. This new space they have. So, uh, and so they, they kept knocking around until finally, uh, 3M made an offer to uh, to take it on. But they, uh, but they weren't thinking ahead. Having acquired it, what are they going to do with it? Just to pay the widow some money, and that's as far as it went. Mm -hmm. But that was the point of this collection; it was to be perpetuated in some way. And but it ended up in the warehouse in St. Paul. And was there for years, until <laughs> last year. Until well, until they said, "Well, we need the space," so they gave it to Eastman. Yeah. <laughs> now you have it. Yeah. Uh, but they, uh, that's as far as that went. Um, so was this group responsible for 
No, they gave up eventually. There's nothing they could do. For helping, for, were they a channel through which 3M eventually became involved in the scene? I mean, is it, uh, did it happen that way, in fact? Yeah, 3M got involved because of a, as a, uh, there's a man there who's a, uh, uh, who's a technological genius or something. And I think it was through him that 3M got this collection. And he suggested it to them, or something like that. Maybe mm. Solomon on the basis of you have a, a, an obligation to history or something like that. Mm. But I'm sure 3M didn't want the damn thing. Yeah. But but it was It's an interesting thing as a, as a as a as a as a part of a museum. Well, it's part of the Eastman House. Yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see the show and to yeah. see what's. Uh, yeah, there's some things there. There. I th I th see, there are things you'll see things there that you've never seen anywhere else. Right, exactly. And that's why I bring in the personal angle. There's own own. Uh, it's, it's got some of the old autochromes, the old uh, 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 panorama pictures, and color processes. A lot of different color of material. Yeah. So all of that uh, it was his interest. Did you ever meet um, Robert Taft? No. The. Uh, um, Book. Yeah, of course. The uh, well, I'm wondering partly on the back of my mind if maybe we ought to call it a day here, just um, because okay. oh, we, could, we yeah. could go on uh, to midnight. Yeah. I think. I think what happens after a while is get weary as we are. Yeah, yeah. It's we've been really going at it here. Is that you're no longer? We're not being sharp about it. Yeah, you just remember, don't remember anything.